I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Anita Marks with you here on 98.7 ESPN. We've got a special guest joining us for this Sunday Fun Day, presented by Grand Marnier. Grand Marnier takes cocktails from ordinary to unforgettable, adding a layer of sophistication to some of the world's most well-loved cocktails. It's Connor Rogers joining us now. Uh, Connor, welcome in. How are you? Good morning, Anita. I'm doing great. How are you? It's been a minute. Great to hear your voice, my friend. Why don't you, why don't you let the folks know every time uh, you know I, I look up, I see you. Uh, NBC, all the good things, uh, you and, uh, of course, Matthew Barry uh, working closely together. So why don't you let the folks know all, the, all that you're doing this coming football season and where they can find you. Yeah, it's an awesome time of year, obviously. Everybody's getting back into the molds of fantasy drafts, preseason footballs on. So uh, I'm just having a lot of fun right now. We have the fantasy football happy hour back on at NBC. We're a week away from being live five days a week, 12 to 1 on Peacock, Sirius Radio, YouTube everywhere along the lines of that, really going through uh, every aspect of fantasy football all the way until the season ends. And then, of course, Jets, you know, pre- and post-game will be back before you know it, and we have a special uh, training camp edition show this Thursday already. It's crazy how things are flying right now. So a lot of good things going on. Listen, Anita, once the, once the Mets gave up on their season, I needed to fill the void, so I found a way to do that pretty quickly. There you go. We just had Tim Healy on not too long ago from Newsday talking about what we can expect from this Mets team heading into uh, 2024. Max Scherzer claims that they are not going to be active and attractive. Uh, Steve Cohen, the owner, sent a, an, a, an email, a letter out to season ticket holders saying that they are going to be a team that's going to contend. So we'll, we'll, see, we'll see what happens. But nonetheless, again, on to Cincinnati. Right. And on to on to football. Let's talk about this Jets team. Do you feel, Connor, that this is Super Bowl or bust? The fact that Aaron Rodgers is here, all that the Jets gave up for him, uh, just how explosive this offense could be, just how good this defense could be. Like what what in your eyes is uh, is would be a successful season with Aaron Rodgers here? Well, I would say the good news is it doesn't feel like they're now sprinting in this one-year window where it's Super Bowl or bust, right? That was the big concern when they gave up that return for him, when they went after him. And, uh, you know, when you look at the situation, everything it sounds like, when you look at the contract restructure, which was more than just a restructure, an actual legitimate pay cut from Aaron Rodgers to help the Jets from a multiple, you know, standpoints, whether it's the cash situation now, whether it's short-term cap situation as well, and when you hear what he says, it sounds like he's going to be here at least two years. And if things go right, his body holds up, and, and the, you know, the organization moves at the pace that he likes, there's no reason to think there's not, it's not out of the realm of possibilities that he's here for three years. Now, of course, you wonder, you know, where does the play, when does the play begin to tail off a little bit? Rodgers, the back-to-back MVP not that long ago, uh, while it was a down year for him last year, he was hurt, and a down year for Aaron Rodgers at the quarterback position is, 
a borderline, you know, franchise career year for the Jets right now. So this is a massive upgrade. And I think while the Jets are kind of operating, you know, pedal to the metal right now, they have the young defense, they have the uh, reigning offensive rookie of the year, the reigning defensive rookie of the year. They do have significant questions, in my opinion, on the offensive line that they're going to have to figure out, uh, finding the best five to play in that unit and really developing some other guys as well. I don't know if it's Super Bowl or bust, but I think the most important thing, Anita, is getting the franchise back to winning ways where they have the longest active playoff streak in sports tied with the Buffalo Sabres right now. That's the first trend that they need to buck. They feel like they can get that done this year. Can you make some noise in the playoffs? And you, can you actually build something here? And whether that's building towards you know, the peak season in 2024 or if you can do that now, it's a much better place to be for the Jets because, like you said, this offense is a chance to be significantly more explosive with Rodgers under center, Zach Wilson out of the spotlight right now, and a young defense that they think can not only uh, maintain what they were able to do last year but take steps forward from last year as well. Um, you know, looking at looking at this team, my only concern, and I, I, I've had this conversation several times, uh, and I filled in for Alan Hahn a few weeks ago with Bart Scott, and him and I are on opposite ends here. It's the offensive line. Bart Scott feels very confident that Mekhi Becton is going to have a solid season. Uh, I'm worried about, obviously, the tackle position, the depth on the offensive line. As we know, Aaron Rodgers, he will turn 40 at some point in time this season. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the most concerning, uh, where do you stand in regard to this offensive line, and, 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 and how much do you think this offensive line is going to play a role on the success or failure of this Jets team? I would put it at a seven and a half. I think I lean with you on this. I, I Listen, the team is pretty loaded when you look on paper. Like we said, you love the defense. They have a lot of skill talent. They got the quarterback. There's a, Even the special teams looks like it's ready to make a significant upgrade. That punting was a disaster for this team last year. And you could already see, yeah, it's one preseason game, but his career speaks for itself with Thomas Morstead, a guy that's been here. The special teams should be better as well. So I... I have no problem putting the offensive line at a seven and a half concern level out of ten because it's the one thing in my eyes. And the biggest issue is it's one of the most difficult things to fix once you get rolling in training camp because teams typically don't trade or cut capable offensive linemen. Now, with the Jets, it's not that they don't have capable offensive linemen on the roster. It's that they need them to stay healthy. And you have a guy like Dwayne Brown that's getting closer to 40 and further away from 30. Uh, who played well last year, basically with one shoulder, but he's still working his way back onto the field. Mekhi Becton is on a significant, significant pitch count. If this was baseball, you're looking at Mekhi Becton being able to throw you one inning here and there right now. And that's not to say he can't get back to being a starter, but, I mean, with the way they're managing him, the way he's managing himself, it just feels like we're, we're not really close to that right now. And I think that's the most frustrating thing because when you watch Beckton play, I just went through the all 22 of this game yesterday. I mean, the seven snaps that he played, he looks really, really good. The power is still there. He's a very hard player to get around because of the size and length, and his, his footwork was pretty clean for a guy coming off a significant uh, knee injury and missing the back-to-back seasons as well. So if you can get Beckton up to speed, which is a gigantic variable, and he's willing to play the right side, which it sounds like he's more willing to do that than he was a few months ago, then the tackle play between him and Dwayne Brown, assuming they can get through a season, is completely fine. But that's the big question right now. And then if neither of those guys can, do you have to kick Elijah Vera Tucker back out to tackle like they did at times last year where he was very capable, and then maybe start the rookie center, Joe Tittman at center, and Connor McGovern at guard or Wes Schweitzer at guard. So 
the good news for the Jets is something that they worked on this offseason was getting volume, getting quantity. They have depth. It's very rare in this league. The Jets' second stringers are capable of getting you through a pinch here and there. But the problem is their first stringers have a huge problem with injuries right now. And until we see that finally, you know, them finally overcome that, it's always going to be a worry in your mind when you have an old quarterback under center that just dealt with an injury last year. So you hate to be a downer about such an exciting part of the season for the Jets, but every team in the NFL has things that they worry about. The Jets just happens to be on the offensive line right now. Connor Rogers joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. One last thing I want to touch on when it comes to the Jets before we move on to uh, the Giants. That's their schedule. Uh, I truly believe the NFL did them no favors uh, for a team that has so many changes, obviously coming in, uh, also them having to deal with hard knocks. But to open up against the Bills, at the Cowboys, against the Patriots, which I think the Patriots are going to surprise some folks this year and be better than what most people think, especially with Bill O'Brien there now as their offensive coordinator. Um, The Chiefs, the Broncos, in Denver, and then the Eagles, I mean, first six weeks, you've got to play the two teams that competed in the Super Bowl. Are you kidding me? I, I think the Jets will be lucky if they're 3-3. Three and three. Uh, God forbid they're 2-4. and four. Um, You're not in Kansas anymore, Roger, and uh, Aaron Rodgers. And, um, and the media here, as you know, Connor, it's, it's, it's not like it is in Green Bay. So just out of curiosity, how do you, how do you think this team fares the first six weeks of the season? Listen, if they get to 3-3, three and three, the thing is they're fine because they kind of have the excuse under them that, one, this is the hard part of their schedule, and two, they're still getting their feet under them because they have an organizational change with Aaron Rodgers under center that can take more time than just an OTAs and training camp. So you're right. This is, it's brutal, right? You've got, the Monday night ga- you've got the Monday night game against the Bills, who, to be fair to the Jets at home, they beat the Bills last year. So the Bills have to be coming into town thinking, we lost against Zach Wilson at MetLife Stadium last year. Now we're dealing with Aaron Rodgers, a 9-11 you know, anniversary game right here. You know the place is going to be really, really loud and ready to roll. So I think the Bills are looking at the Jets thinking the same thing in that game, as much as the Bills have controlled this division for a couple of years now. Cowboys, to me, kind of a coin flip game. Patriots, the Jets have the better roster, but the Jets have to prove that they can get over the hump and finally beat the Patriots. I mean, the Chiefs, they have the best quarterback on the planet, and he could go down as the best quarterback of all time. That's going to be brutal. And you know what, Anita, for me, the one that's kind of interesting and maybe gives you optimism now, I thought that Denver game had zero juice, zero life. I was a little worried that the Jets would come out of that four-game stretch where, God, you had two primetime games with the Bills and the Chiefs, maybe the class of the AFC, also counting the Bengals. You have the Cowboys and the Patriots. Nothing more needs to be said there, the life in those games. Do you want to be kind of limping into week five and you know, you're kind of overlooking the Broncos. Nobody is overlooking the Broncos now, thanks to Sean Payton, putting the bullseye square on their heads with the New York Jets. So I think the Jets will get through this stretch. It might not be pretty. I don't expect them to go 4-2 and two or have a winning record here or there. But when that schedule drops off that second half of the season where you run into likes of the Texans and the Commanders and, you know, the Raiders, teams like that, I think the Jets could pick up some momentum heading towards that postseason push. So, it's kind of that glass half full, glass half empty. You could start out in a really tough spot, but we've seen a lot of teams get hot in the second half off of weaker schedules, and the Jets have an opportunity to do that. It's going to be interesting. Um, the Giants, right, competing against the Eagles and the Cowboys and, of course, Washington in their division. The big storyline coming out is Darren Waller, and, and, and I, I definitely want to uh, dive into a little fantasy football talk before we let you go. I want Darren Waller on every one of my fantasy teams. 
everything that I'm hearing from folks that cover the Giants, they're out there at practice, they're watching in eight OTAs. Uh, I'm hearing that the way that he's being utilized, like he's going to be, he's going to be the Travis Kelsey of the Giants, right? And if he can stay healthy, boy, is is he going to make some noise this season? What say you in regard to uh, the Giants, and what are your expectations for Darren Waller this season? Well, the good thing for the Giants is, once again, not only did they surprise and make the playoffs last year with a roster that probably wasn't as talented, but also the fact that the NFC around them, I mean, who, who really got that much better, right? The Eagles are going to be great. Nobody's denying that. I think the Cowboys are going to be good, of course. So the two, the two teams that you worry about, besides the 49ers, are in the division. And then you look around and go, God, the North is taking a step back. Aaron Rodgers is gone. A lot of teams are, are you know, moving forward with young quarterbacks besides the Lions and the Vikings, but they have their roster holes as well. So it, when you look at NFC-wide, the Giants are in a really good position because of that conference, especially compared to the state of the AFC. And Darren Walter plays a giant factor into that because he gives a weapon to Brian Dable's offense that they didn't have last year, and that's somebody with size. Besides those three games from Isaiah Hodgins at the end of the year, they really didn't have a target that can go up and win the football for Daniel Jones or be trusted to kind of be a seam buster, right? Somebody that can run over the head of a linebacker or climb over a safety and make a play. And, and you nailed it. It's never been talent with Darren Waller, right? You look at fantasy. This is a guy I traded for in Dynasty a couple of years ago because I just thought you brought it up. He could be that Kelsey kind of player in terms of how he affects the pass game and how he can really kind of stat pad in PPR formats because he could be a possession monster and a big play threat. And we saw it, 2019-2020. This is somebody that he came pretty dang close both those seasons to 1,200 yards, which is out of this world as a tight end. And then you look at the problems the last two years, it's simply that he's played 20 total games, right? He played nine games last year, was pretty much banged up the entire season and played 11 the year before that, but still really productive in those 11 games, 55 catches, 665 yards. I think what gives you faith in Waller with the Giants organization over the Raiders organization is probably two things. One, I think they'll know how to manage him. There's going to be He's a bigger guy. They take big hits in the middle of the field. He's been banged up. He's 30 years old. They'll know how to manage his rep workload a little bit better ready to get him ready to play more weeks than not. And that seemed to be a problem with the Raiders where there's a lot of different problems there with him and that coaching staff as well. And then number two, the fit of the offense. I mean, he's, he's kind of the guy, right? We know Saquon Barkley is going to get the most touches overall, but when you look at Saquon, that's a situation where it's going to be in the backfield and on the short passes. But in the receiving game, the Giants have a lot of slot receivers, and they need that big-body presence in Waller. So I'm with you as well. He's kind of this huge boomer bust guy in fantasy. He should really help the Giants' offense. Right now, I believe he's being the sixth tight end taken. I would consider taking him over Kyle Pitts, so I don't know about that. But I think Waller was a massive get for the Giants. And the price they paid for him, this move didn't have a lot of risk in my eyes. Yeah, uh, giving up a third-round pick. Before we let you go, uh, of course, on the sideline of the Jets-Cleveland Browns Hall of Fame game, uh, we heard uh, Matthew Berry say his ride and die, ride or die, I I never get that straight, um, is Amon Ra St. Brown, wide receiver for the the Detroit Lions. Who is yours this season? Who's, Who's the one guy on all your fantasy rosters, common denominator, you want him on your roster? I think for me, it has to be Bijan Robinson. And sure, he's somebody that'll go in the you know the end of the first round in fantasy drafts right now. But I don't agree with that. I would take Bijan honestly, maybe with a top three or four pick at this point. So when I kind of landed on Bijan, things had changed. He felt like a guy that might go in the 
top of the second round and it felt like a juicier ride or die pick. I feel like the hype train has kind of left the station because everybody sees the few training camp clips, right, Anita, of him running incredible routes against linebackers. Now, Arthur Smith's going to get him the ball, you know, 400 times this season, whether it's on the ground, whether it's in the pass game. But I'm not going to get off that bandwagon right now. I think Bijan could be the most valuable running back in all the fantasy football. And if you have that unicorn running back that's giving you, you know, 700 to 800 yards as a receiving back, uh, and then can also easily go over 1,000 yards, which he will on the ground with that great Falcons run-blocking unit. That's something that consistently wins leagues year after year. So Bijan, I think the ADP is still wrong. There's people that are getting him right at the end, one of those last picks of the first round, when it should be the opposite. He's somebody, somebody you should consider with a top-three pick. So mine is Nick Chubb. I think folks are sleeping on Nick Chubb. He's going to be the the, the workhorse, uh, the bell cow in that backfield. I think I'm expecting bigger and better from Deshaun Watson. And when you've got, you know this, when you've got a quarterback who can run the football uh, and you've got defenses that have to really contain that, it opens up the rushing lanes for whatever running back is back there as well. So I'm really big on Nick Chubb. I'm someone who this season... I don't want to. I don't want to draft first, second, third, fourth. I'd be happy to be drafting in a twelve-person league. I'd be happy to be drafting like six, seven, eight, nine, somewhere around there, where I feel like Nick Chubb will still be available, and then I could come back around and maybe get another, another, another running back or or a top-notch wide receiver. That's kind of my draft position that I'm hoping to land. Agree or disagree with that? I'm with you all the way. I think there's so much value in the end of the first round. I think in the beginning of the first round you're kind of having to decide for everybody unless you want to play it safe you can grab a floor guy like Justin Jefferson or Jamar Chase and you walk away it's kind of cozy it's comfortable but in the end of the first round is where you could have some fun I look at Bijan I look at Chubb I think those guys have the same chances to be the most productive running backs as compared to guys taken ahead of them and Christian McCaffrey Austin Eckler those guys of the world as well so I'm with you that's where I'd want to be picking I think also if Deshaun Watson is rusty again, like we saw last year, Kevin Stefanski is going to lean on Nick Chubb more than he ever has with Kareem Hunt off that roster. He's talented. That team could still block up front. I like that pick a lot. Chubb and Bijan would be the two running backs that, compared to where you can get them, I think have the most value in all the fantasy right now. Great stuff as always. Connor, we so appreciate it when you join us. Uh, Thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Thanks, Anita. Always great to catch up with you. We'll talk soon. You got it. Connor Rogers joining us. You can see him all over NBC and, of course, uh, partner in crime with uh, Matthew Berry, getting you ready for your fantasy football season. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. 
That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Anita Marks with you on this Sunday Funday. Joining us is Sebastian Salazar. He was so kind to join us yesterday to preview the women's USA match against uh, Sweden and is so kind now uh, to join us as well to recap. And Sebastian, man, heart-wrenching, right? Uh, we talked about it yesterday. Both of us uh, felt that Sweden had a really good shot of winning, but to win this in, in this style, more importantly for the United States to lose in that style. Your thoughts on how this game all played out? Yeah, I mean, it's just the best. I think, you know, people in soccer a lot of times complain about penalty kicks, that it's unfair, but it's so dramatic. And really what's unfortunate is even within the penalty shootout, the U.S. was kind of handed an opportunity. You know, Sweden missed a couple penalties there that really opened the door for the U.S. And you thought for sure with the last two penalty takers being Megan Rapino, who was the definition of clutch, specifically from the penalty spot, at the last World Cup, and then Sophia Smith, who's the best player right now on the team taking the penalties that the U.S. was all but through to the quarterfinals. Instead, they both miss, and, and a listen there comes within inches of making a save that would have kept the U.S. in it, but I guess technology there, uh, not the American's friend. I mean, it's so dramatic, so heartbreaking, but Anita, as you and I talked about yesterday and as we've kind of been talking about throughout this tournament and even before the tournament kicked off, this U.S. team was not coming in with a lot of momentum. They certainly didn't generate any momentum through the group phase. And even in this game against Sweden, while they played better than they did throughout the group phase, they didn't do enough. And I think that's what's going to haunt this team, that at the end of the day, in three of their four games at this tournament, they didn't do enough to win. And the only team they were able to beat at this tournament was Vietnam. And that says a lot about their overall performance. So looking, looking back, right... Uh, well, first things first, because I'm 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 online and you know I'm I'm seeing what uh, Rapino Megan Rapino ha- had just said. You know that it was a sick joke that she missed the, the the penalty kick. She can't remember the last time that she missed a penalty penalty kick, but Smith did as well. Uh, kind of let us live vicariously through you. You've been in that situation. What what does go through your mind? Does it do? I mean, I would imagine the last thing you ever want to do is, oh my gosh, I, I can't even, I can't miss. At least I, I need to give my, my team and my country a shot here. Like, what, what do you think, how, you know, mentally, how, how difficult, how challenging is that when you're faced in, in, in that predicament and so much is riding on you? It really is brutal, especially for the, the penalty shooter. I think the goalie kind of has a different perspective. You're not really expected to make the save as the goalie, so it's a little bit more of like a free roll in that sense. But for the shooter, especially as the rounds progress, the pressure mounts. And you really don't want to be the first person to miss. You don't want to be the first team to miss because when you go behind in a penalty shootout, you're usually cooked. And that was what was kind of so surprising here is that the U.S. had the edge. 
and weren't able to finish it off. And I think when you see a player like Megan Rapinoe miss, I just wonder, Nita, if that shook the confidence of Sophia Smith. Seeing somebody who is an icon uh, and a legend miss the penalty right before you go as the fifth taker, which is always the most pressure-packed spot, I just wonder if that unsettled Sophia Smith because even though she's a young player without World Cup experience, she is usually so cool when it comes to finishing and scoring that to see her miss was just as surprising as seeing Rapino miss. And, and the only way you can, you can really sum it up is that the, the pressure got to them. And, and there is a lot of pressure when not just your game, your tournament, but really your four-year cycle comes down to one kick. And I would imagine, so now, you know, Rapino will retire, um, Ertz expected to retire, Alex Morgan, not the way that you want to go out, right? Like, you know, that, I think that's got to hurt as well, is that, you know, of course, we'll all re- we'll remember all the wonderful things that, you know, that Rapino and, and these ladies did, but like, especially Rapino to miss that, not the way, you know, you want to re- remember it in the way you want to go out. Yeah, and I think that's what she was talking about, Rapino specifically, when she talked about kind of it being a, a cruel joke that her last, you know, last play with the national team effectively, at least in a major international tournament, because she'll certainly get a farewell tour, was, was missing the penalty. And, and the players that you mentioned specifically were chasing history. So they really go from the idea of chasing an all-time high, something that had never before happened, this three-peat, to experiencing and really being part of an all-time low for the program. I never before, not men, not women, had a team won three straight World Cups. That's what this U.S. team were chasing. And there were five players, among them the three that you mentioned, Julie Ertz, Megan Rapinoe, Alex Morgan, that were chasing a third straight World Cup. And from, from an individual standpoint, that would have put them in a category with only one human being ever. And that's Pele. And so to go from that, from chasing kind of that discussion and that narrative to now being a part of, wow, this is the worst performance ever by the U.S. at a World Cup. And Anita, it's not close. It's by far. Before this, the, wor- the worst they'd ever done was reaching the semifinals at a World Cup. So this is historic on the bad side. I think it's really going to sting. It's going to sting the fans for a while. It's going to sting those players for a while. And I think in a lot of cases, we're, we're probably seeing the last of, of, of a great generation at major tournaments. Like I said, Megan Rapinoe and these other players, we'll see them in a farewell tour. But from here on out, it's the young players that you, that you started to, to, to know and see and maybe fall in love with in this tournament that are going to be the base and need to be the base of this national team moving forward. Again, Sebastian Salazar joining us here on 98.7 ESPN. And, and that was my next question to you, and that is, uh, do you feel that a reason we, we saw this team, USA, struggle is because of the disconnect? You know, it was kind of like the farewell tour of a lot of the veteran players. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, the, the next World Cup will be the true passing of the guard, right? And, and the young crop of players coming in. Do you feel that the mix that we saw, even though some um, kind of the narrative was, it was a good thing. Oh, we're going to have some veteran players that can lead the way. Like, even though the spin was positive, do you feel that maybe that hurt this team in regards to the chemistry? Look, anytime a national team goes out in a tournament, there is always a discussion of, well, did they get the, the generational overhaul right? 
And it's especially tough when you're talking about a defending champion. In fact, in the Men's World Cup, we see it all the time. The defending champion comes back the next time around and oftentimes doesn't even make it out of the group phase. And the difficulty there is there's loyalty. You know, when somebody got you not just in this case one title, but back-to-back titles, it's really hard to walk away from players like Alex Morgan and Megan Rapino and ultimately Julia and some of the other players that we saw. But when there's as much talent, and that's really the advantage that the United States has, when there's as much talent and depth to your pool as the Americans have, you need to do that. So I think, you know, the balance was maybe a little bit off here. You could say there were a lot of players who were in their first World Cup and they were leaned on heavily and maybe they weren't ready for the moment. But I think, you know, when you look at the, the faults here and the flaws, really more of it comes down to individual performances, players who, who didn't play up to their level. And that might come back to the, the domestic league here, the National Women's Soccer League, where all but one of the players on this team plays. Maybe that level is not enough to have players ready to ultimately compete um, at the World Cup stage. And then beyond that, you have to look at the manager. I think the manager bears a lot of the blame for this group of players not not reaching their potential in this tournament and not really at any point under his leadership reaching their full potential. Before we let you go, let's look big picture. Now we know Spain defeated Switzerland. Uh, so now mm-hmm. their next match is against the Netherlands, who defeated South Africa. Japan now will face Sweden since they defeated the United States. Um, I like Japan coming out of this. I think it's going to be Japan and Spain. Uh, but on the opposite side of the bracket, obviously um, England right now is favored to win this whole thing at plus 220. So obviously they're the team that many are expecting to represent that side of the bracket. Uh, who do you feel will be in the championship and who do you think wins at this point? Yeah, I think England has by far the easiest path and they are a team that has maybe not hit the highest note in this tournament, but come awfully close. They were really impressive in their group phase finale, putting up six against China. They've got Nigeria, uh, which is a matchup where they're a huge favorite in, and I think justifiably so. And then they'll get the winner between Colombia and Jamaica. Uh, and those are two teams that are both surprises to be in the knockout round. So they've got a pretty clear path to the semifinals on that side of the bracket. On what is the U.S. side of the bracket, or I guess what we would say, what was the U.S. side of the bracket. I think this quarterfinal, Japan and Sweden, is it's the one to circle because those are the two teams that have looked the most impressive. Spain lost to Japan 4 nothing. That took a little bit of the shine off the Spanish for me. I think that game against the Dutch will be a fantastic kind of showcase game as well. But I think whoever comes out of this Japan-Sweden game is ultimately the team that's going to lift the trophy because they are um, – they are the two teams that have really, truly impressed the most so far. And whoever comes out of that game, for me, absolutely has to be considered the fave. Great stuff as always. And thank you so much for spending some time with us, not just yesterday, but today as well. So appreciate your time, Sebastian. Thank you so much. Anita, as always, great to be with you. You got it. Uh, Again, very disappointing. If you woke up this morning uh, to support and watch uh, the United States, definitely their best game their best match that we saw them play but unfortunately just not enough losing to sweden 5-4 in penalty kicks and now alex morgan julie ertz uh megan rapino now moving on retiring this is this was their farewell world cup 
and uh, and expecting a, a very young and new crop of players coming in uh, the uh, for the, for the next World Cup. So it will be interesting. 800-919-3776. Anita Marks with you. Still have a lot more coming your way. A little click or don't click. We'll find out what is trending. Uh, I do want to circle back and talk some NFL. Uh, we had a caller, Sal, from Duchess, who called in and asked, you know, who do I like? What teams do I like coming into this season? I'll share that with you next, right here on 98.7 ESPN. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as uh, simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. I think he's gaining confidence every day. It's just recapturing his swag. You know, he's he came out of college with so much confidence and swag and athleticism and arm talent, and it's just trying to recapture all that. And uh, I think, you know, he's he's been doing such a great job. I, I give him a lot of credit. You know, it's not easy being asked uh, to do what he's being asked to do in terms of being the face of the program and then all of a sudden it's hey take a step back while you watch another guy take your seat and uh and i think he's attacked it i think he's been great robert sala um of course uh speaking to the media after uh, the preseason game again I, I keep on saying this i, I just i think pre- first of all preseason games just are so dumb uh and now they're 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 uber dumb because uh, because they they really don't matter now. What matters is the uh, the the cross uh, practices, and for the Jets, it's going to be against the Bucks and the Carolina Panthers, and that's really what you want to see. Uh, you are not going to see Aaron Rodgers play in any preseason games, and I think a, a number of teams outside of the Denver Broncos uh, are going to do the same. So there's that. Um, so why do you even pay for them? By the way with your, your season tickets. I think that's even just more, even more stupid. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we had Sal from Duchess calling not too long ago. He said he, he wanted to know what are the teams that I'm feeling that I'm liking 
heading into this season. In the AFC East, no, Harvey. It is not Mama Mimi's Miami Dolphins. In fact, my biggest concern for the Dolphins is can Tua last uh, and stay healthy without suffering a concussion for 17 games? I think that's a tall order, a tall task, considering his history and uh, what we've seen happen. I've got some major concerns for Tua just as a human being. Um, and, uh, and I think he's one concussion away from uh, the NFL PA having a serious discussion about him shutting it down. So we'll see what happens there. How do I see the AFC East panning out? I think Buffalo finishes number one. I think the Jets, uh, finish two and they get in as a wild card. And then I got the Patriots finishing above the Miami Dolphins. Uh, I think the, uh, the hiring of Bill O'Brien as the offensive coordinator, I think is going to be crucial and key and important. For Mac Jones, in fact, another one of my favorite futures bets out there is Mac Jones over, I want to say it's 3350.5 passing yards. I think Mac Jones has a really fantastic year with Bill O'Brien now calling the plays for him. In the AFC North, um, love me the Cincinnati Bengals, but not going to lie, have some big concerns considered considering that Joe Burrow now is dealing with this calf injury. Uh, had Stefania Bell, of course, you see her all over ESPN, uh, one of the best in the business when it comes to uh, really uh, breaking down injuries and explaining them and, and, and all, the, all the things. And that, you know, maybe Joe Burrow won't be ready to go week one against the Cleveland Browns. Um, but concern in regard to that calf injury rearing its ugly head and being a consistent problem for him all season long. The Bengals will go as far as... Joe Burrow takes them, and I've got a big concern there. So prior to the calf injury happening, uh, I like Cincinnati Bengals winning the Super Bowl. They're the team that I believe will represent the AFC. But again, so much is riding on Joe Burrow and that calf injury and it staying healthy and not uh, becoming a consistent problem for him. And so I've got a concern there. How can you not love the Baltimore Ravens? Uh, Working out the deal now with Lamar Jackson, making $52, $54 million a year, Um, and this offense is going to change. They bring in Todd Munkin, uh, offensive coordinator from Georgia. They're going to pass the ball a lot. You know what Lamar can bring in the rushing game now, using uh, his ability to tuck it and run um, as option number two, not necessarily option number one with all the weapons that they have. I'm really intrigued to see how Odell Beckham Jr. is going to fit into this offense and how hopefully he can stay healthy this season and to see what he can do. Um, and I think the Pittsburgh Steelers are going to surprise some folks as well. I've got, again, I, I, I just, I, major, major concern in regard to Joe Burrow in that calf. So prior to the calf injury, I had Cincinnati winning the AFC North, but now I'm leaning more towards Baltimore. But I see Baltimore and Cincinnati both getting into the playoffs, one winning the division, obviously the other one as a wild card. But I've got Pittsburgh finishing third above Cleveland, believe it or not. In the AFC South, I think this is the year Jacksonville wins the AFC South or bust. And I know that's a surprise for a lot of people because of the Tennessee Titans, uh, but I'm just not sold. I think at some point in time, Tennessee is going to move on from uh, Ryan Tannehill at some point in time. And Wilkes or uh, Levis, Will Levis, somebody. I just think that at some point in time, we're not going to see Ryan Tannehill as the starting quarterback. Uh, Derrick Henry is up there in age and, and how much tread does he still have left on that tire where I think Jacksonville is ready to take that next step. So I've got Jacksonville dominating the AFC South and the AFC West uh, something. And and I know if right capital letters, bold print, if the chargers can stay healthy, 
I think the Chargers win the AFC West over Kansas City. I said it. I really do. This is the year. This is the year that they have to. You know why? Justin Herbert's going to get paid next year. This is the year that they have to do it, but they have to stay healthy. They have so much talent on both sides. Um, Their wide receiving core is sick. Um, Eckler's there for another year. They've got depth everywhere. Their offensive line is top five in the NFL. Um, And their defense is, is fantastic on all three levels. Okay? Defensive line, linebackers, and their DBs. So if they can stay healthy, I think the Chargers win the AFC West this year. So I've got the Chargers winning the AFC West. I've got Kansas City coming in second. I've got Denver third. And then the Raiders rounding it out. Um, The AFC is so competitive. It's unbelievable compared to the NFC. In the NFC, for me, in the East, I've got the Eagles winning the division. And I think the Giants and the Cowboys are going to be battling it out. Uh, for that second spot. I, I'm still, I'm just not sold on Dak Prescott. I'm just not. 17 interceptions last year. Now he doesn't have Kellen Moore. You're telling me Mike McCarthy is going to be calling the plays. Yeah, good luck with that. Nope, don't want any part of it. Sorry, Cowboys fans. I just don't. And I've got Washington finishing last. So I think Eagles win the division. I think the Giants um, make it in as uh, as a wild card. I've got Dallas finishing third and Washington last. And the NFC North, uh, I am buying the Detroit Lions Kool-Aid. I believe the Lions are going to win that division. Don't sleep on Minnesota. I think Minnesota will be competitive. Uh, you got to love Kirk Cousins. Of course, if you've been watching Quarterbacks, the documentary on Netflix, um, I think it's going to be, ba- um, I think I think the Lions and the Vikings are going to be battling it out. I think the Bears will be there, but I'm not sold on Justin Fields as a quarterback either. So I've got the Bears finishing third and the Green Bay Packers finishing fourth. Uh, as for the NFC South, uh, no way the Saints pay Derek Carr $100 million guaranteed if they didn't feel that the division was theirs for the taking, and I think it is. So uh, I like the Saints to win the a- the NFC South. And in the NFC West, brace yourself, another big surprise here as well. I've got Seattle winning the NFC South. Uh, the NFC West, sorry. Uh, the 49ers, right now, all indication is Brock Purdy is going to start. I think last year was an outlier year. To me, you can't have... So many teams pass up on a quarterback who goes not only in the seventh round, but last overall. Um, Look at the teams that he did beat last season. And and listen, I think he's a phenomenal storyline and I'm rooting for him and love the under, you know, the the Cinderella story. And this is a Cinderella story with, with Brock Purdy. There's no denying that. But I'm just not sold on any of the quarterbacks that the 49ers have, even though they've got a ton of depth and a ton of talent on that roster. At the end of the day, quarterback position to me is the most important position in all of professional sport. And I've got some big concerns. So um, I just love the Seattle team. And uh, Geno Smith really proved himself last season. I think he picks up where they left, where they left off. Their defense is a lot, better, a lot better with Bobby Wagner now back out there. They can stop the run with him at the safety position. So I've got Seattle winning the NFC West. I've got the 49ers coming in second, uh, the Cardinals and uh, the third. And I've got the Rams potentially, guys and gals, finishing with the worst record in the NFL, the Rams. That's who I think is going to finish with the worst record in the NFL, the Los Angeles Rams this season. They sold their soul to the devil to win the Super Bowl in 2021. And now they're paying the price. They're, They're paying the piper as many like to say. You're listening to Anita Marks on 98.7 ESPN. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. 
If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. 